Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank, Ideas Bank here. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, WeWork preps its IPO and new details on Jeffrey Epstein's apparent suicide. But first, speech police. So the White House last week reportedly circulated a draft executive order that would have the Federal Communications Commission effectively oversee and monitor what's shared on social media platforms. It's the exact sort of thing you'd expect small government-loving Republicans to loudly oppose, but it has a lot of their support because of a widespread belief that companies like Twitter and Facebook suppress conservative voices. This policy, if enacted, theoretically would punish tech companies for such censorship, thus causing them not to censor in the first place. So a few things. First, there isn't actual evidence that social media platforms censor partisan political content. Yep, there are lots of anecdotal examples, but nothing approaching systemic bias. And when confronted about it during congressional hearings, social media executives have fairly persuasively shown how rare it is for any content to be removed and how, even within that tiny sample size, much of the time it's a mistake that is later rectified. Plus, that it happens on both the left and the right. And even furthermore, the biggest user of Twitter might be President Trump and all of his tweets go through. Second, this policy would essentially threaten to remove what's known as a Section 230 protection from social media companies. And Section 230 says that if a website doesn't moderate user-generated content, then it isn't liable for the content. For example, imagine I slander someone on Facebook. That isn't actually Facebook's problem. But if Facebook removed some slander from its platform and kept other slander like mine, then it could become Facebook's problem. Under the proposed executive order, the FCC would now be on the lookout for politically biased moderation, as opposed to just when content is pulled because it violates a stated term of service. It would be a big change for the FCC and a big change for tech platforms. Now, in short, this is a solution in search of a real problem and one that could become a very slippery slope for all political speech in America. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios tech policy reporter David McCabe. But first... This. Have a great idea for a startup? Silicon Valley Bank wants to help you make it a reality. With more than 35 years of experience, they understand the challenges of the startup journey and have created banking and financial solutions to help founders every step of the way. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. We're joined now by Axios tech policy reporter David McCabe. So, McCabe, let's start here. We've seen a lot of draft executive orders under Trump on all sorts of things that ultimately go nowhere. Do we have reason to believe this one has legs? That's the open question. That's the big question that people have been asking since news of this executive order drafting process went public last week, first in a report in Politico, and then CNN obtained a summary. The sense I get is that that's a real open question because it's coming out of a part of the White House and an aide at the West, staffer at the White House and in the administration that's not necessarily a tech staffer. I think his background is as a labor economist or working on labor issues. So all these are very sort of questions about how serious this is. Obviously, it's an issue that's important to the president's base and important seemingly personally to the president. So that's a factor. But I think there's a real open question as to how serious it actually is. Let's play this out for a minute. Let's assume for a minute it is serious and, and that he actually signed it and it went to law. You know, I'm sure there would be legal challenges. But for now, 
it would represent a big shift in what the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, does, right? That's right. It would be a real both kind of retrenching of how Section 230, the immunity for social platforms from lawsuits that have to do with user content, it would sort of retrench the way that's interpreted potentially. But it would also mean that the FCC would suddenly be involved in the affairs of companies that exist at what we call the edge of the network. So if you think about sort of the, the full chain of a, an internet transaction and you have the pipes, which are the ISPs, and those are thought of as sort of the core of the network, and then you have the edge, which are the companies at the service, Netflix, Facebook. The ones that we interact with on a regular basis. Exactly. And the FCC has not had authority over the edge traditionally, and this FCC in particular has rejected even pretty significant regulatory interpretations of the law that would give them more authority over the core. So we'll put this particular FCC in a tough position, and more broadly, it would be a big shift in what the FCC does. Does that mean that this FCC, which obviously is run by a Trump-appointed FCC head, uh, Ajit Pai, does that mean you could see the FCC, you know, when they saw this draft executive order, going to the White House and saying, no, don't? I think certainly it would put them in a tough position. I don't know yet exactly what the interactions have been like between the different agencies that are in the room and the White House on this. But certainly you have this dynamic frequently in in tech issues right now, which is that traditionally the Republicans who have worked on tech issues are sort of like libertarians, small government conservatives. But then you have the Trump wing of the party, which along with a lot of other policy priorities and rhetorical trends, really is much more into the idea of of getting involved in the affairs of, of corporations and particularly tech companies. And so I think certainly there are established Republicans around Washington who will be made sort of queasy by this. Even if this goes through, those bias allegations, though, from kind of the Trump wing of the party, those won't stop, right? This wouldn't, you know, halt them in their tracks. No, I mean, I think it's obviously a winner of a political issue for a certain segment of the president's base. And so it, it is in his interest to keep the issue alive, whether or not there's some policy action on it. I think going into 2020, it's something we'll hear repeatedly. You know, I'm being censored. I'm being censored. You're being censored to his base. I don't think that an executive order would put a stop to that. There's not an incentive for him to say it's been solved. This isn't an issue anymore. And I think what we've seen, too, is that on the right in particular, we've, we've seen these charges of censorship, which I should emphasize have never been substantiated as like a systemic problem in the products put out by Silicon Valley. We've seen them for years. I mean, there was this big Facebook trending topic scandal several years ago. And essentially, it's it's the same thing happens each time, which is the companies respond. They say they're taking it really seriously. And those steps never seem to placate conservatives. And in fact, conservatives have only gotten more into this issue over time, not less. And as part of that, what the White House is proposing, which, as you said, is kind of tied largely around the Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, we've heard talk in Congress about possibly making changes, which sound pretty similar. Ted Cruz was on this podcast talking about that, I don't know, maybe four or five months ago. Do you find see it being more likely as there could be a change to Section 230 coming vis-a-vis the White House or actually out of Republicans in Congress? So I think right now, neither appears super likely. It's important to remember that even if this executive order, as it's been reported, was enacted, then you would have an FCC process to look at this. So it would still be sort of at least one or two steps removed from making changes to Section 230. In Congress, I would say Section 230 has become a little bit of a catch-all solution. Lawmakers like to say, well, Section 230. And in fact, Section 230 immunity has to do with unlawful content, acts related to unlawful content. The speech question is is a different one. So I think what you're seeing here is potentially the idea of using it, and, and this is also in in a bill that Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri has introduced, using basically Section 230 immunity as an incentive to stop companies from from engaging, again, what they say is 
political bias, but they've never presented evidence that that, that political bias is systemic and real. One of our colleagues this morning makes a really interesting point about how the leak of this draft executive order comes at the same time that the White House on Friday, just a couple days ago, had tech executives there asking them for help identifying content which could lead to gun violence. Is the White House able to walk and chew gum at the same time here? At the one time, basically threaten the very existence of these social media platforms while also simultaneously asking them for help? Right. I mean, on the one hand, they're saying do more, like monitor your platforms more. On the other hand, they're saying we think you monitor your platforms too much. You take too many steps. I think that is a contradiction. It's a real contradiction. My understanding is that at the meeting on Friday with the tech companies in, in response to some recent instances of gun violence, this this executive order process didn't come up. It wasn't on the agenda. But absolutely, it's there's a, there's a contradiction here. And I think in the big picture, like that contradiction may only become more stark if the White House continues on both of those tracks. Thank you to David McCabe, who is sadly leaving us here at Axios to join the New York Times. Uh, hopefully over there, they'll have a podcast you can occasionally join, maybe a daily one. My final two right after this. With Silicon Valley Bank, you'll get a banking and financial services partner committed to seeing you through the ups, the downs, and the I'm way in over my head moments. There are also scalable solutions that fit each important stage of the startup journey. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is WeWork, the co-working space company that's expected to have filed for its IPO before we tape another Pro Rata podcast. A big thing to look for here is what changes federal securities regulators asked WeWork to make to its IPO prospectus since it first filed confidentially late last year. Maybe some of that will be around real estate holdings of CEO Adam Newman, or maybe about a unique metric called community-adjusted EBITDA, which WeWork says is its version of unit economics, but which some pundits basically say is snake oil. The bottom line here, no matter what's in the prospectus, WeWork will continue to be polarizing among investors and is likely to become the market's second most shorted stock after Tesla. And finally this morning, there are, of course, all sorts of conspiracy theories being floated out about the apparent suicide Saturday of pedophile financier Jeffrey Epstein, including a baseless one promoted by President Trump, which in itself would be a monumental scandal for any other White House. And while investigations remain ongoing, an important report today from the Associated Press says that prison guards and Epstein's unit were, quote, working extreme overtime shifts to make up for staffing shortages. One guard, for example, was reportedly working on his fifth straight day of overtime while another was on mandatory overtime. Again, no conclusions yet, but the Occam's razor here might be government incompetence, not conspiracy. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great National Vinyl Record Day. And we'll be back on Wednesday with another Pro Rata podcast.